Coming up on this week's show, we dive into the world of Haley Turner's Soulbound as the author talks to us about the brand new book in this series. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 205 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Good day and hello. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Welcome back, everyone. Another week, another show. Uh, We hope that your back-to-school season has kicked off and started well. Um, Ours has not been great. I don't know know what it was about this past week. Um, It just wasn't fun. Crappy. It was (laughs) crappy. Let's just call it what it was. Uh, My day job had a whole bunch of stuff going on. We had various things going on with our author business that were not making us happy. And it was just, it was insane. But it ended well. Uh, Yesterday, Saturday the 7th, was our 22nd wedding anniversary. So at least we ended the crappy week with some really good awesomeness. So I am glad to be married to you for all these years. Happy anniversary to us. Indeed. I also had my own little back-to-school thing going on this week as I started a master class uh, where I'm going to be working on my new hockey romance novel. And that's a great moment to remind everybody that we do have a new podcast, the Big Gay Author Podcast, where we actually discuss uh, our writing journeys and things that are going on over on our author business. And if you'd like to join us over there and hear more about that master class, you can check it out at BigGayAuthorPodcast.com, where we drop new episodes every Saturday. Hi, I'm Jay from the LGBTQ romance review blog, Joyfully Jay. At Joyfully Jay, we review tons of LGBTQ romance, as well as romantic fiction and nonfiction. We review ebooks, audiobooks, and even the occasional movie. We typically review about 18 books a week, so Joyfully Jay is a great place to hear about new releases, catch up on books you may have missed, and find some new favorites. In addition to our reviews, each weekday, we host an author as our first post of the day. This gives readers a chance to learn more about new releases, get exclusive excerpts, find out about the author, and participate in great giveaways. Each author post on Joyfully J is exclusive, so you get access to book and author information you can't find other places. At Joyfully J, we love LGBTQ romance and are excited to share it with you. Stop by the blog at joyfullyj.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook group, The Joyful Jays. We'd love to have you join us. Yes, it is that time of the year again. Uh, I don't know about you, but I noticed in my social media feed that several news outlets reported on the complete list of Hallmark holiday movies going to be uh, coming our way. Yeah, and not that long away because they start at the end of October. You know, it's barely pumpkin spice season and we're already thinking about Christmas. And as over... September, as I already am, I'm very much looking forward to the holiday season. Uh, As I was perusing the list of movies coming our way, I wanted to uh, take note of a few 
that were starring some out and proud actors that we're certainly fans of. The first one is called A Merry Christmas Match, and that's going to be premiering on October 25th. And it stars Kyle Dean Macy, a former Broadway baby, and uh, he's also an alum of the TV show Nashville. Uh, He's going to be co-starring with Ashley Newbro. And this movie is about Corey, who works in her mom's antique shop. And she's going to be putting on a Christmas pageant in honor of her late father. And when a man named Ryder visits her store, she wonders if she should have left town to follow her dream of becoming a theater director. So you got pageants and theater and Christmas, and I cannot wait for this one. And an antique store. I know. I like it. What else you got for us? Uh, Coming up on November 27th is Sense, Sensibility, and Snowmen. And this stars out and proud Canadian cutie Luke McFarling. And he's going to co-star with Aaron Krakow of When Calls the Heart. And this one is about a Christmas-loving party planner and the Grinch who has inherited a toy company. Ooh, Grinches should not own toy companies. <laughs> if Luke is going to be the Grinch, I can't really picture that because Luke is never a Grinch. So I don't. I hope he's not in that role. Well, Aaron Krakow certainly isn't going to be the Grinch. She's Maybe. all sunshines and rainbows all the time. That is very true. Um, I love Luke movies. They're always good. Aaron is a solid performer for Christmas movies, so I am sure that that is going to be awesome. There are 40 movies this year, folks. That's going to be a lot of viewing. I can't wait for that to start. In addition to that news, uh, Jeff and I uh, finally partook of a couple of films uh, that we did not get around to when they were in the movie theaters. The first one we want to mention uh, is a girl power epic called The Hustle. And this is a sort of gender swap version of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels that starred Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. And Rebel is sort of the newbie to the con artist game. And she, when she makes her way to the French Riviera, she <laughs> encounters uh, expert pro-con artist Anne, and Anne sort of takes Rebel under her wing and shows her the ropes, and eventually they both uh, enter into a bet to see who can win over the affections of a young tech billionaire, Uh, and hilarity, of course, ensues. Um, Oh my gosh, this movie is so dang funny. I really, really enjoyed it. I think Anne and Rebel are like at the top of their game. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, Rebel, this is Rebel's kind of movie. And the, and, and the kind of role that she plays, but she did it. She was over the top good here. And Anne, I adored Anne in this movie. Her sophisticated con artist lady was so awesome. And I liked the tech guy too. He was very much in the vein of uh, what we saw in the Facebook movie uh, with how tech billionaires behave. That was I loved everything about it. I can't believe we waited this long to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, something else we saw this past week was A Simple Favor. This movie came out late last year. And once again, Jeff and I decided not to leave the house and go see it. <laughs> uh, but I really wish we had. I'm, I'm so sorry that it's taken us this long to get it. Um, this is a really unique movie. And I think part of the problem is, is that its uniqueness made it difficult for Hollywood to sort of like pigeonhole it and um, sell yeah, it correctly because I didn't even know this was a comedy. Uh, yeah, I didn't either. I thought it was going to be a much more more of a taunt thriller sort of film. So A Simple Favor is essentially what you get when you mix chiclet with psychological suspense. 
Uh, it stars Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively. And Anna Kendrick is sort of a stereotypical stay-at-home suburban mom. She even has a mommy blog. Uh, and she's all about, you know, being the best mom possible and volunteering it, you know, for all of the fun fairs at school, that kind of thing. Uh, when along comes Blake Lively, she's the cool mom. Uh, she's got like a high powered job in the city. Uh, she swears. She walks around in designer suits. Uh, she drinks cocktails all day long. Uh, and they become unlikely friends. One day, Blake mysteriously disappears. And the rest of the movie is about Anna discovering that Blake Lively's character wasn't everything that she said she was. And eventually we find out that Anna's character, um, there's a lot going under on underneath that uh, sort of demure exterior. Um, it's a really fun, interesting, outrageous, twisty movie. I loved it to pieces. Yeah, it manages to be hilariously funny at times but also have this really amazing taunt mystery as i mentioned in in my initial comment it it's interesting how it treads the two and does them both in my view really well and you're totally right i don't think hollywood knew how to pitch this at all because from the marketing campaign i remember nothing about that seemed as humorous as it was Mm -hmm. it also co-stars henry golding the cutie pie from Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, he plays the husband that's sort of uh, trapped between the two of them and their machinations. Uh, once again, it's uh, called A Simple Favor. Uh, we really recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. So moving into books for this week, uh, we've got a, a few to talk about, actually. Uh, I am super excited to talk about uh, this first book. Uh, when I talked to Julian Winters back in episode 185, he described his new book, How to Be Remy Cameron, like this. It's kind of an exploration of what labels mean to us, but it also has a great family dynamic. A couple of secret mystery parts I can't tell you about, but there's a lot of guessing games going on in it. And of course, it wouldn't be me if I didn't have a dorky romance in there. Well, all of those things are true and so much more. And, uh, This book comes out on Tuesday, and I think everybody just needs to go get it. Now, reading this reminded me of meeting Simon Spear back in a certain 2015 novel. Remy figuring out who he was bounced me between laughing, crying, gasping, and just about every other emotion in the book. Julian showed a tremendous gasp of... Gasp? No. He showed a tremendous grasp of writing teens in his debut with Running With Lions, but he's leveled up beyond expectations with Remy Cameron. So the quote I gave you from Julian gave you the basics on the book, but let me dive in just a bit more for you. Remy's a super popular guy. He's out. He's proud. He founded his school's GSA. He's one of five black students at the school, and he's adopted. There's a lot of labels there. Now, basically everybody likes him, and his confidence gets him very far in life. He's endured a breakup, but now he's got a crush on someone new, which is where that dorky romance comes in. And when he starts to falter, though, is when he's tasked to write an essay about how he defines himself. Now, this is crucial for his AP course because he wants to impress the teacher who holds the key to a recommendation for him to get into Emory. The essay sends him into a tailspin that he doesn't even know how to adequately discuss with his friends or family. Now, it's hard to break down what I love about this book because I honestly love all of it. 
I can't remember the last time I've highlighted so many passages in a book so I can return to them later. The story has an unfiltered look at how high school works. Remy notes that his high school is progressive in many ways. They've got a female quarterback and a Latinx junior class president. But then there's the flip side where Remy, even though he came out freshman year and is GSA president and has a large circle of friends and acquaintances, can still draw the whispering kind of attention if he wears a rainbow pride shirt to school. Remy's also very aware of how his race and his being adopted plays into his everyday life. Even to the point that he notes that he was once wanted by a guy simply because he was black and that race can be a deciding factor of being desired or rejected before anything else is considered. It's these kinds of truths laid out that makes this book soar. Now, Remy's not the only smart witty teen in this book. When it comes to talking race, sexuality, and labels, his friend, Brooke, wisely says, don't let others take pride in who you are. Your race, sexuality, whatever, away from you. They didn't give it to you, and they have no right to snatch it away. That's just a great truth right there in the midst of all this book. Now, besides the essay to write, Remy's got other stuff going on, too. There's some major life revelations for him, and there is a crazy mystery, too, that honestly is a little bit Scooby-Doo on what it is, but that just helps to add some nice comedy to this book. Now, it all piles on to the point of an inevitable meltdown for Remy. This particular section with how Remy's family responds is tremendous. If everyone had parents like this, the world would be a far better place. Now, I do advise you to have tissues handy for this sequence because I guarantee all the possible feels. I really love how Julian combined all the elements here. You've got coming of age. You've got dealing with the labels that society and your friends want to put on you. You've got the managing friendships that are growing and changing around you. There's a super sweet romance, and his characterization of it being dorky was 100% spot on. The mystery shenanigans at school and discovering all this stuff about yourself, it just, it could be in the hands of some other author, it could become a mess of too much story, but Julian keeps it all tied together and centered on the terrific character of Remy Cameron. Remy's voice is strong too, with the book written in first person present tense, and that's just like how Simon and versus the Homo sapiens agenda was. This story has a right now immediacy that is perfect. So yeah, if you can't tell, I highly recommend How to Be Remy Cameron by Julian Winters. The paperback is on its way to me, so I could put it up on my shelf of all-time favorites right next to Simon. And I'm excited too that Julian's already announced The Summer of Everything, which is coming out in August of 2020. You can be sure that I will be pre-ordering that as soon as it's available. So that's my reading that I've had going on. What have you got for us? So I want to quickly talk about two fantastic books I read this past week. The first is The Unexpected Heiress by Frank Butterfield. And this is the very first book in the Nick Williams mystery series. Um, there are 30 books in this series so far. Which is uh, just incredible. <laughs> way to go, Frank. <laughs> In the time it's taken us to uh, uh, start this show, I think Frank has released three more books. Um, anyway, this first book I really, really enjoyed. I, I liked it far more than I thought I would. Uh, the story itself is actually a little bit on the short side, but boy, does it pack a punch. It sets the stage for all of the adventures to come. Um, the story kicks off uh, with Nick 
Williams. Uh, he is a PI in San Francisco circa the early 1950s, uh, and he just so happens to be the richest homosexual in San Francisco. And the first case he gets is when a lawyer, friends of his, asks Nick to look into who helped a Hollywood star keep his name out of the papers when there was a raid at a local bar. Um, and that's sort of like a, a traditional uh, detective story setup. Um, but that's not actually what the whole book is about. <laughs> this particular case leads to the formation of some friendships and alliances that will play out in later books. But the actual case that Nick Williams is investigating is the mysterious death of his sister. She dies in a car accident. And when he looks into that, he discovers that she had far more money than anyone else previously thought. Uh, hence the unexpected heiress. So it's his job to find out who knew about the money and why they would want to kill her. Um, gosh, this book is so good. Um, so many terrific characters. Uh, Nick Williams is amazing. The next book I want to talk about is Anticipating Temptation. Uh, and this is the third book in Sylvia Violet's anticipation series so once again we return to the mountain town of anticipation and this story uh, focuses on rob the handsome new bisexual in town uh, and he <laughs> buys a ranch and he needs someone to kind of cook and look after the house essentially a housekeeper so enter Marty. He works at the local bakery. He's a character that we've been introduced to in previous books. And he decides to go ahead and take this summer job working for Rob because he needs the money. Uh, he's trying to uh, build a new business, uh, essentially a catering business uh, for the town of Anticipation. Now there's instant attraction between Rob and Marty. So the first part of the book is sort of like a should we, shouldn't we, sort of classic uh, boss-employee relationship kind of thing going on. Uh, but essentially, they give in to <laughs> their passions. Uh, and as it turns out, Rob likes to take charge in the bedroom, and Marty does not have a problem with that at all. So the rest of this book sort of explores... Uh, Sylvia Violet's unique twist on daddy kink and a billionaire romance trope. Um, it's really wonderful. Uh, as the story progresses, Marty has to learn how to trust, and Rob has to realize that money actually can't solve everything. What I think is interesting is I've read a couple of different books where the wealthy character there's usually when, when it comes to billionaire romances it's all about the the financial disparity usually one character has a lot of money and power and one of them doesn't and it's about how they navigate those differences and in this book marty is having financial problems uh, specifically he needs investment to get his catering business off the ground and start his new life and rob just wants to like give him the money because, like, duh, that's going to solve everything. Um, but he, you know, needs to come to realizes that Marty doesn't necessarily just need the money. He needs to understand that Marty has to be able to stand on his own two feet. And there are other ways that they can achieve that together as a couple. So I really enjoyed that aspect. Also, Marty's evil, abusive ex-boyfriend shows up. Uh, but he does not need saving. Marty takes care of things all by himself. 
So I really enjoyed that character growth and character arc as well. So as most of you know, uh, I've read all three of these books in the Anticipation series, and I've loved every single one because I like the way Sylvia takes uh, traditional romance tropes and uh, cranks the heat level up to 11 uh, and makes them a whole lot of fun. So it's no surprise that I highly recommend Anticipating Temptation. I think you should all check it out. Now, if you're interested in learning more about the books or movies or anything else we've talked about in this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 205 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at Facebook.com slash Podcast and see what we get up to next. This week, we finally bring Haley Turner to the show. Uh, Haley's been someone that we've heard all kinds of things about uh, from Lisa over at The Novel Approach because she loves the Soulbound series so much. And with a new book in that series coming out this week, it was the perfect time to have her here to talk about not only that series, but her Human Files uh, series as well. So let's get to that. Thanks for coming to the podcast. Haley, it's wonderful to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. We've heard so much from our contributor, Lisa, over at The Novel Approach about the Soulbound books. She raves about them on the show all the time. I know she's looking forward to this new book. So... Let's kind of dive in here and and talk about the series for folks who may be unfamiliar with Soulbound. All right. So Soulbound is an urban fantasy with a gay romantic subplot, and it's set in a world where magic is known. I have gods who walk the earth, and my main character is a mage who is in desperate need of a vacation. I haven't given him one yet. So <laughs> three books in and he's still looking for the vacation. <laughs> still, he still needs one. He's still not getting one. It's more, uh, think more like the classic urban fantasies that were really big in the early 2000s. That's kind of the style of the series versus uh, I know paranormal shifter stories are very big in gay romance, but they're, it's a little different than that. But it's still within kind of the fantastical element genre. Now, the third book. A Crown of Iron and Silver is coming out on Tuesday, September 10th, so right around the corner. What's going on for this guy in the third book, besides, of course, not getting that vacation? Well, I have a different pantheon of gods in every book. So in A Fairy of Bones and Gold, I started with Greek gods because I feel like pretty much everybody knows the Greek gods, and those are easy to draw readers into with. Also, as near and I, I brought in some Aztec myths, uh, folklore, death saints, and some native mythology. In A Crown of Iron and Silver, I'm introducing gods and goddesses from the Celtic myths. So those have various different origin stories, kind of, kind of pulling from different ones. So I've got some from Ireland, Scotland, and Wales in order to tell this latest story, and I'm really excited to kind of play around with them. I'm hoping that the readers will like my take on the Fae and everything. So I'm interested to see how people will receive it. When I told Lisa that we were going to be talking with you, she was really curious about your creative process and how you choose your characters because you do have so many of these methodologies in play in these books. I am a plotter. I can't pants to save my life. So when I start a series, I know the beginning, I know the middle, I know the end. I know what needs to happen. And every book 
in order to kind of push me along to the final climactic battle that will happen. So I know every single character that needs to come on page uh, takes me a bit to kind of flesh them out because I some of them I won't touch until I actually get to that book. The main ones I'll know right from the beginning. But when I start a series, I will pretty much have every single person that needs to have screen time pretty much decided on what their name will be, uh, their background, um, how important they will be, if they'll be secondary or main. So they don't just kind of appear without reason in my story. So there, there's no surprises for the characters that come up, except for the readers when they're reading it. Did you have a, a history and, and kind of love with the gods and goddesses that you're, you're plucking out and using in your books? Oh, I love mythology. <laughs> um, that's one of the things that I would just read as a kid. And I've always kind of been a fan of history. I, I can't really read any nonfiction books for histories, but I would watch a lot of documentaries. I just find some of the nonfiction really dry. And as a kid and a teenager, that didn't quite hold my attention um, as much as some of the fantasy books that I would read. But I love mythology and I love creation myths. So I've always wanted to write something that kind of just draws on the general background that you find in pretty much every civilization on the planet. Like everybody has uh, a creation myth within, you know, their people. So I thought that was really interesting to just kind of pull from all of these mythos and just, you know, what if they were actually real? Given your background of liking mythology, did you have to do a lot of research to prepare for these books? Or did was it something you kind of just knew because of, what you've looked at over time? Some of the details I knew. Um, I still I still did a lot of research. I wanted to make sure that I had, you know, names right, locations right, because it's been years since I've read some of the, uh, you know, of the stories. But for every book, I would, I would still do a lot of research. And I try and be respectful with some of the myths that I put into the stories because for some of them, you know, these are people's religions still today. So I want to be respectful in the fact that I'm writing a fantasy story, but some of the characters that I'm using aren't necessarily characters. They're drawn from, you know, a, a form of religion. So I try and be respectful about that, uh, even though I kind of really want to bring more of an awareness to people who might not have heard of them. What inspired this overall series for you with Soulbound, and, and what's its own origin story? I started a version of it way long ago when I was in college, um, and I've kind of worked on bits and pieces and different versions of it over the years, and I was never really happy with it. So I'd put up to the side and then I'd come back to it and I'd put it to the side and then I would come back to it. And eventually it turned into what it is today. It took a long time to get there, but I'm, I'm very happy with where it is now versus how it started and, and some of the paths that I took it. And you, you noted before that you're a big plotter and you plot out your series. As you do that, do you still find as you start a new book that you're making adjustments or have you held pretty true to the vision you had when you first plotted this out? Oh, there are adjustments. <laughs> there are certain characters sometimes where I think I'm doing 
one version and then it turns out like no it's better if I do it this way it's kind of I, I call it kind of subconscious writing um, I don't realize that I'm doing it until I hit a wall and realize oh wait I laid some of these details down and oh I can fix it this way it's not static I have an outline but I will deviate from the outline if it will be better for the story um, I'm not wedded to it mm-hmm. per se it's like it's it's not going to be in cement, this is what it is. Because there are certain things that I might write in one book that I can kind of jump off into the next book, which will alter the plot a little bit, but usually in a good way. I very rarely find myself being written into a corner, which I'm thankful about because these this series is, is very detail-oriented. So if I got stuck in a corner now, I'd be kind of in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could I could see how that could happen with so much of your own character's backstory you've written, plus you've got the mythologies that you're working with. Is there a little freedom, though, because you're working in kind of an alternate reality? Yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting because, so it's basically a what-if sort of situation. You know, what if magic was real? What if you had supernatural creatures that lived and grew up throughout history alongside humanity. So it's kind of taking what magic would be legal, what magic would not be legal. How would discrimination work between different species? Some who have obviously way more strength or power than humanity, like a regular human would. So it it was just kind of drawn out of basically, what can you do with all of this when you shove it all into one world and they kind of have to coexist? And Lisa was curious, too, as, as she and I were talking about this, like, why w- did you choose an alternate New York rather than any other city or creating an entire alternate city some, uh, of some kind? Um, I love cities. I live in a city now. I'm a city girl. Um, I like being surrounded by just a ton of people, different languages, different food. Um, you just kind of get a microcosm of the world when you're in a really big city. Uh, and everybody pretty much knows New York City. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to set a book in a big city, I'll probably do New York. So I've been there several times and I love it. So New York is a city that everybody kind of knows. It's kind of like London or Tokyo or Paris, Buenos Aires. It's just, you know, a big city that everybody knows. So I thought it would be easier, and it actually is easier to use a known city as a backdrop rather than create my own. Because then it's like, okay, well, if I create my own city and I want it to be exactly where New York City is, why not just use New York? That's a good point. Why, you know, why reinvent the wheel, essentially? It's actually easier to write a story within, you know, a city that already exists in a world that already has the rules set down than it is to try and make up a new city. Because then you have to do maps and then you have to like, okay, what kind of government are they going to have? And that's a lot of detail that kind of gives me a headache some days. (laughs) I can understand. And you've already got enough going on with your your rules of magic and how you're using the gods and goddesses and all this other stuff going on. Don't get me wrong. I love details like that. I'm super detail-oriented and I love it. But I know that the reader is not going to be as interested in it as I would. So it doesn't really make itself into the story. And it's it was easier with just a regular old New York City. Be like, I could just throw everybody there and I don't have to explain the city. Exactly. What's still to come for Soulbound in the future? The series is set for seven books. 
I have it all planned out. I'm hoping that I can maybe get two books per year out until the series is done, but it depends on my day job and it depends um, on my arm because my arm is kind of hurting. Um, so, because I don't want to rush the books, there's just so much involved with them and I want to do it justice for the story, but also for the fans. Mm -hmm. So. I never, I never know when the book is going to release until I finish writing it. And then I can give a vague idea of when I can actually set a release date and then work my way towards getting through all the editing process and the promo process and making the fans happy when I announce the release date. Now, you've got another series, which is a sci-fi military one called it's the Metahuman series. Tell us a little bit about that one. Oh, I like to describe it as kind of like a sexy gay X-Men series. I know that sounds really silly, but um, I love comics. I grew up reading and collecting comics as a kid. Um, I unfortunately don't own very many comics these days because I've moved a lot, and it's a lot easier to move without a ton of books, unfortunately. <laughs> Metahumans is set in the near future pretty sure it's about like 250 years in the future. I say pretty sure because it's it's been a couple of years since the first book came out. And I kind of extrapolated with the whole climate crisis going on. So it's set in an earth that's, it's, it's our earth, it's set in the future, but it's kind of been ravaged by climate change. So there's less population, um, but there's still kind of some spacefaring stuff going on. Uh, there's uh, classist issues between the haves and have nots, but there's also just a lot of, um, uh, not a lot, but there's an issue terrorism in the book in regards to the splice chemical that turns people into these metahumans. So uh, it's basically about a team who's been turned into metahumans, and they have to go after the bad guys. And gay X-Men, how could you not want that? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that attracts you to the sci-fi, military, and urban fantasy genres? I've always loved fantasy and science fiction. Ever since I was a kid, I can remember that's what I wanted to watch on TV. That's what I wanted to read. I would always want to read the science fiction and fantasy books at my local library that I wasn't quite old enough to read. And I remember my dad had to actually go and write permission for me to check those books out. But I've always just loved the fantastical ideas behind it. As for the military aspect, um, I never personally served, but a lot of my family members have, and my grandfather survived D-Day during World War II. So kind of the military has been in the background of my life, and I've known several vets over the years. Um, I'm not a big fan of the military decisions our country has made in my lifetime and our past, but from an author point of view, using the military as a story option is, you know, it's, it's something that you can build around and uh, I've found it useful in the sort of story that I wanted to tell with metahumans. Who are some of the authors who've influenced what you're writing these days? I always say this, but it's, it's always true. Um, Tamara Pierce, she's, she doesn't write urban fantasy and she doesn't write sci-fi. Um, it's like medieval young adult fantasy. But I read her books when I was a kid, and they've been a huge influence in my reading and my writing. Um, she, All of her female protagonists, I'm sorry, all of her protagonists are female, but it was always just like strong girls who were uh, going on these quests and everything. She's just a, a really lovely author person. 
Um, I like David Weber for kind of the space opera, military sci-fi. Um, that's a very long series though. And I'm not cut up with like the last five books, but um, those two specifically, I think for just sci-fi and for fantasy at the moment are really the ones that uh, I can remember reading and having a sh- having had a strong influence from. And your bio says you started writing as a child. What what got you started and what was fueling your imagination at the time? Wanting to read books that I couldn't find. So when I couldn't find them, I just like, oh, I'll just write my own. And, you know, full disclosure, my writing as a child was just probably terrible. <laughs> it's like I was seven when I started. So you can imagine how just bad and uh, just yeah, not professional. <laughs> but it was fun. And it's it, it. I learned a lot over the years in writing. Um, I learned, you know, a, a, it's a good form of focus. It's a it's a good form of finding and using words, being detail oriented. Uh, writing is helped me in my day job. There's a lot that you can pull from it. And I'm grateful that my dad never, you know, he's like, you know, never said it wasn't something that I shouldn't do. So I'm very grateful for that because I know some people don't have that opportunity to have a supportive parent. So that's very true. And it's, it's super great when you hear that somebody just kept encouraging the creative flow. Yeah. My family's always been very supportive of my writing. So that's, um, that's great. When I told them that I was writing gay romance, my dad was more surprised that it was romance than it was gay. Because so. <laughs> he's like, wait, are you still writing the ones with the explosions? I'm like, yes, dad, they still have explosions. That's awesome. <laughs> and what did bring you into telling gay romance stories? Kind of harkens back to, you know, not seeing anything out there at the time that I wanted to read. So uh, growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, the queer community has obviously been very huge here. And living in San Francisco, that's just kind of, it's here. But fantasy, I didn't really see very much of it growing up where the main character would be gay, or bi, or pan, or any of the other, you know, orientations within the community. So I wanted to just kind of bring that out in the fantasy genre for it. And since fantasy is what I love to write, I decided to just go full broke for it. Do you see yourself branching out into other fantasy, sci-fi sort of subgenres along the way? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fantasy and science fiction um, and all of the subgenres underneath it, I love to read, I love to write. But I... My brain doesn't work in that I can work on multiple projects at once. I have to have just one book that I'm writing and one series. And when that is done, then I can move on to the next one. Otherwise, it's just it's very, very difficult for me to try and finish something like currently between Soulbounds right now, I'm trying to get out uh, novellas in the metahuman ones. But sometimes it takes very long time for me to get it out. And other times it can come fairly quickly. But it's still one project at one time. So unfortunately, I've got other stories in the back of my head that I want to tell, but I can't really dedicate time to it until after Soulbound is finished. And in terms of your reading, does while you're working on the urban fantasy of Soulbound, does that mean you're 
try not to read similar books or <laughs> I have a policy where I if I'm writing if I'm currently actively writing um, I try not to read stories in the same genre so that I don't I have this fear that I'm going to you know through osmosis or something absorb another author's ideas or characters so I try not to read I know that sounds silly but I, I try not to read when I'm writing uh, at least the books within my genre. Although I have a hard time trying to find time to read to begin with because my day job kind of is is super busy. So when I come home, it's do I write or do I read? And usually the writing wins out. As I'm sure your fans are very happy to hear. I hope so. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> So I think given what, what, what we've talked about, I can imagine the, the answer for this, but what is coming up next for you? I'm working on Soulbound 4 right now. I know the title, but unfortunately I cannot disclose it. <laughs> so I'm continuing Patrick's and Jono's uh, March to the End. I know that sounds really ominous, but it's not, I promise. Who's going to believe? <laughs> well, the March to the End could just get, like, you know, like we talked about, get the poor guy a vacation at the end of book seven. My lips are sealed. <laughs> of course, yes. We don't want to give up any spoilers here for sure. So how can people keep up with you online to, to get all the news and, and see the title when it's time to release it? Uh, the best way is my Facebook readers group, which is Haley's Hellions. Barring that, it would be on Instagram. Those are really the only two platforms that I'm active on. I just I don't have very much time to, to spend on any of the other social media platforms. So I don't have a Twitter. Um, I do have a newsletter. You can find it on my website, which is HaleyTurner.com. Uh, you can find everything there, actually. But for the most part, uh, the readers group is really where I'm mostly interactive with the fans because it's easier for me to peruse as I'm on my break or something at work. Very cool. Well, we wish you the best of success with the release of A Crown of Iron and Silver and uh, look forward to seeing the rest of the series as it comes out over the, over the coming years. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. And thanks again to Haley for joining us. I, I learned so much more about the Soulbound series, and it's going to be one I just know that I'm... It was inevitable I'm going to pick it up anyway because of Lisa, but now that I know more about it, that's going to happen. And I need to know if this poor guy gets a vacation eventually, too, because that really <laughs> stresses me out that the poor guy just has to keep going and going and going. So be sure and check out that series from Haley Turner. Okay, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Just a quick reminder, you can help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. The additional support of our superfans helps pay for the costs of producing and distributing this show. Joining is super easy, and you'll get special access to monthly bonus episodes and the opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests, and lots more. For all the details, simply go on over to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, coming up next week in episode 206, we're going to talk to Anne Hawley about her historical romance restraint, as well as a masterwork experiment that she's been a part of. I so much enjoyed talking to Anne and finding out not only about restraint, but about this masterwork experiment. We talked about this a few episodes back, that she's been working on something that involves Brokeback Mountain. And I think, I think everybody's going to be really interested to hear about this. Yeah, so be sure and come back next week for that one.
Guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book with you. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.